Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the new decade and the Sunday, January 5th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com or via Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Lisa Shah Patel, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Numbers, How Do They Define Us?, and my poem, Oh, the Effortless Glam. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Valley during the week of January 6th. On Tuesday, January 7th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop in Room 101 of the Chandler Community Center, which is at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. On Tuesday, from 7 to 8.30 p.m., All My Years will be hosting its monthly Phoenix Poetry Orchestra, this time featuring Sean Avery, who was a Poets and Muses past poet guest. This will be taking place at Film Bar Phoenix, which is at 815 North 2nd Street in Phoenix. From 8 to 9 p.m., Loxy Lockett will be hosting Pocket Thoughts Poetry Night, featuring Wes Wisner, Miss Anthropy, and Salem Same Cloud at Fiddler's Dream Coffee House, which is at 1702 East Glendale Avenue in Phoenix. On Wednesday, January 8th, from 5 to 10 p.m., Walt Richardson II will be hosting his weekly Walk-In Wednesdays Open Mic Night at the Tempe Center for the Arts at 700 West Rio Salado Parkway in Tempe. Again, this is a two-parter where from 5 to 6, youth performers will be going on stage and all the other performers will be going on stage from 6 to 10 p.m. Signing up for the first portion starts at 4.45 p.m. and the second starts at 5 p.m. On Thursday, January 9th, from 6 to 9 p.m., Fatso's Pizza will be having its weekly open mic night at 3131 East Thunderbird Road in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Mesa Arts Center will be hosting its monthly Workplay Cafe open mic at the Nile at 105 West Main Street in Mesa. If you get there by 6 p.m., you can join the Writing and Performance Workshop. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quinton Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Joe Bout Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing out for the mic starts at 7.30. At 9.45 p.m., Atlas St. Cloud will be hosting his weekly poetry writing workshop at the Welcome Diner, which is at 929 East Pierce Street in Phoenix. On Saturday, January 11th, from 5 to 7 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing will be hosting the Phoenix Youth Poet Laureate Reading with open mic featuring the current Youth Poet Laureate. Saria Taylor and Tate Walker will be appearing as a special guest. This will take place at Piper Writer House at 450 East Tyler Mall in Tempe. Signing up for the open mic portion starts at 5 p.m. On Sunday, January 2nd, from 6 to 9 p.m., Infused Open Mic will be taking place at Phoenix Center for the Arts at 1202 North 3rd Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 5.30. 
And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Lisa Shrapatel. Hi, Lisa. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, thank you for having me. Poets. You brought with you today the poem Numbers, How Do They Define Us? Before we get into that, I would like you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I'm originally from California. Mm-hmm. I went to medical school uh, at UCLA. And then I moved back east to the New Jersey, New York area where my husband's from oh, to okay. do my residency. I did a residency in radiology. Mm-hmm. was a big chicken with the cold weather. Yes. <laughs> So moved back to the warm weather here in Arizona and Mm -hmm. did a fellowship in breast imaging Mm -hmm. um, over at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale. I'm currently the director of career and professional advising at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. So I help the medical students try to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. Mm -hmm. It's a very rewarding and fun experience. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a huge field, the medical field, right? It covers everything. There's all kinds of different specialties, and I think that's part of my role is to let the medical students know how many different possibilities there really are. Yeah. You know, we always hear about family medicine or pediatrics because that's what we all grew up with. Right. But there's so many different specialties out there. Yeah. So as long as they can find something that they're passionate about. Yeah. Well, so are are there any specialty areas where they're in need of people? There's a shortage. So I think primary care right now is lacking in physicians. I think up until now, so many students have gone towards specializing Mm. into something, some of which is due to the fact that they have so many loans and they need to pay them back. But I think, and I'm hoping that primary care is coming back into the upswing, Mm -hmm. especially because we need some generalists. You know, we need family practitioners and we need internal medicine and pediatrics. Yeah, general medicine, it's a lot to cover, right? Is that is that one of the reasons as well? Or, I mean, you said, you said financial reasons is, is the main concern. I think all specialties in medicine have a lot of information that you need to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just part of what we do. Right. But I think in the grand scheme of things, people, not only because of the financial constraints, but maybe also somewhat uh, having to do with the prestige. You know, mm-hmm. saying that you are a pediatrician versus a neurosurgeon right. has a very different connotation out there right, for the right, real yeah. world. So I think that's also some of it. I think that when students start, they think that they know what those fields are because they grew up with them. You know, we all went to a pediatrician or we all have a mm-hmm. family medicine doctor that we went to, um, but they don't know very much about the other fields. So mm-hmm. they focus on getting, trying to get exposed to those fields. Right. And right. then lose sight of some of these very much needed fields as well. Right. In terms of your own writing, how did you get into writing? And how specifically, how did you get into poetry? How long have you been writing poetry? So I actually have been writing poetry on and off um, probably since high school. Some of my fondest memories were from events that I did with my parents. So I really mm-hmm. remember in high school, we had a special father-daughter dance. Mm-hmm. And you could submit a poem about your dad. Oh. And then they would choose, you know, someone to read it right, right. up on stage. And so mine got chosen. And nice. when I was in high school, my father did a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. And so the day that this was supposed to happen, he was going to be out of the country. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I didn't want to tell him that this mm-hmm. is why I needed him to be here. But somehow my mom and I concocted a plan and told him <laughs> that he really needed to be there. And so he came and Sure enough, you know, I brought him up on stage and, you know, my parents made the world to me. So Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where I think it brought tears to both of our eyes. Mm -hmm. And then I did the very similar thing with my mom. Um, We had a mother-daughter tea in high school. Mm -hmm. 
and the same thing. She had no clue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I brought her up and, you know, I read this poem. And I think for me, it was just a way to release and a way to share some of my feelings. Right, right. I don't do it regularly. And I think for me, it's just when the moment arises and I have some time just sitting down and jotting things down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful and such a different way of dealing with the world, right, from your day-to-day work. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's a great way to share your feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and being a little bit vulnerable, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, without yeah. having to be worried about what is someone going to think or what is someone going to say because there is no right or wrong. Right. With yeah. medicine in general or with sciences in general, there usually is. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a great way to share about yourself and give yourself the chance to release. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you still write often? I write when time permits, <laughs> not on a regular basis, but like I said, I think when I feel like I want to jot something down, you know, I also like to draw and things like that. So some type of, of art or, you know, using my right brain a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard actually writing poetry is still left brain. It probably is. Um, you know, I hope to think that eventually everything will mesh together, you know, but... Yeah, it probably is a little bit. Yeah. So this particular poem, Numbers, was from the Journal of... Celebrating the Humanities Through Art. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's part of the Humanities in, in Medicine? Mm-hmm. So on campus, this journal started as a way for not only physicians, but also students or anyone in relation to the campus wanting to share their work. So mm-hmm. it could be poetry, it could be painting, it could be art. It's just a great way to get everyone together mm-hmm. and to be able to share whatever their passion is. Yeah, yeah. And it's really nice to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned, I had interview Catherine, who's also part of this campus, and it's it's been really great to see her experience. So far, I've only read the two of you, but I know there are a number of poets uh, that was in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were quite a few, and it's it's interesting for us because we don't know that some of our own colleagues have some of these mm-hmm. interests or passions, you know, until we see them at something like this, and we're like, wow, I didn't have any idea that, you know, you were an artist or had no idea that you wrote, you know, poetry or short stories. So. Right, right, right. So it's, it's really great. And you said it comes out in January, isn't it? So usually we, I believe the email goes out to all of us in January saying, you know, if you'd like to share something okay. or whatnot. And then the chart journal is actually available through Amazon, I believe. And so yeah. you can actually buy it through Amazon and just collect them, and they have all kinds of different, you know, it's a compilation of everyone's works. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to reading the rest when I get downtime for me. I actually grew up in New York, by the way. So oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Where in New York? In New York City. So okay. I know what you're talking about. So this I did my I'm training here. in New York. Yeah. So I was in New Jersey for two years and then in New York for four years. Right. And I was, I'm was i born and bred in California. Right. So when Southern I moved California. out there, in Southern California. <laughs> so when I moved out there, I didn't own winter boots, didn't own a winter coat. I didn't even know how to drive in the snow or mm-hmm. get snow off my windshield. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the first snowstorms I needed to go to work in the morning and my car is covered mm-hmm. with snow and ice and here I am in the parking lot. I turned on my windshield wipers, not realizing that you need one of those scrapers to mm-hmm. scrape off. Yeah, yeah. My husband's yelling at me, that's not how you do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know these things. You know, I've never been exposed to this. You know, I'm used to, you know, shorts and tank tops and skirts right, right, and things right, like that. Right. So it was a great experience at the time. You know, yeah. I loved New York City. I think it's mm-hmm. a really fun place to be, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at in your life. 
Yeah, definitely. Especially now. I think 30 years ago, it was probably at the inflection point where it became just not affordable for regular people. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know medical people who have to live on the edges of either east or west side of Manhattan because it's just that unaffordable. Yeah, and I think for me, like when I was in training, we lived in subsidized housing that the hospital provided, Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't have children at the time, you know, it was just my husband and I, and so it was doable, you know, it was Mm -hmm. fun, lots of great bars, lots of museums, it was just great culturally, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't imagine raising children in the city, especially, you know, we had lived in this rinky-dink apartment, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I think it's just a different way of life. Yeah, yeah. I feel like in New York, you basically feel poor until you become <laughs> uber rich. And then you're like, oh, I'm comfortable now. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. <laughs> in any case, let's go back to your country, even though I'd be happy to talk with you about New York and New Jersey, and especially the winters. God. Um, so, numbers. If you don't mind reading that for us, then we can talk about it. Absolutely. Numbers. How do they define us? You are born on a certain date. You weighed a certain amount and showed your presence at a certain week. This defined you as term or premature. You were followed with growth charts and percentages. More numbers. You were allowed to enter kindergarten when you turned five. You were considered a teenager at the age of 13 and were driving at 16. You took the SATs and all those standardized exams. Were your numbers good enough to get you into your dream college? You were an adult at 18 and could have your first drink at 21. You studied hard in college and got a certain GPA. More numbers. You were applying to medical school and had to take the MCAT. More numbers. You got into medical school and now you are going to be a doctor. But wait, another exam, the USMLE. More numbers. These numbers you thought determined your residency specialty and defined what you were. But wait, 30 years later, married with grown children, you sit in the doctor's office, not as a doctor, but now as a patient. More numbers, your labs are back and numbers show that you are sick. The numbers which will follow you for the rest of time as you get treated with surgery and chemotherapy, only to hear that the numbers are not going in the right direction. You say what? You say why? These numbers that have followed you since you were born are now determining your destiny. Is this fair? Does this define who you are and who you will be? No, I say. These numbers are what helps guide us and what helps us become categorized. But in all reality, we are who we are. We are the sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, colleagues and friends who each have a story. We often allow these numbers to take a hold of us, to control us, to lead us towards a certain direction. But we must remember that these are merely numbers. We are who we are for the reasons we want to be. We are loving, honest, helpful, enthusiastic, and dedicated individuals of a society in which we can make such a difference. Don't let a number define you, but let you define yourself. Thank you. Thank you. I saw a couple of poems in the journal. Mm -hmm. You said this one is from you, and the other one was from your mother-in-law. I wasn't sure, because I read the other one first, Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if this particular line was completely autobiographical or if parts of it was about her as well. So the one that my mother-in-law had written was when she was going through chemotherapy as she was battling Mm -hmm. ovarian cancer. This one was sort of a mix. I see a lot of medical students come into my office and they feel like 
they take one of these really big exams that mm-hmm. is very important in medical school, and they are down and out about their score. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, they let that define themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's my role to help get them out of that funk, if you will, to say mm-hmm. that, you know what, yes, that score may not be what you want, but let's figure out how else we can rework things to still get you into the specialty that you're passionate about or find another route. So that's part of where this started from. And then the more I thought, the more I realized that, you know, even from the time we're born, Mm -hmm. we're defined by our numbers. You know, Mm -hmm. I delivered my oldest daughter five weeks early, just Mm -hmm. out of the blue. And she was 35 weeks Mm -hmm. and she was still called premature. You know, it was exactly that 35 weeks. And just over time, I remember when we brought her home from the hospital, she would barely drink two ounces of milk. And we would get so excited because we're like, yay, she drank two ounces today. But it was another number. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd go to the doctor and they'd say, oh, you know, she weighs this much now. And this is what mm-hmm. she is on the percentage on the growth chart. Mm-hmm. It was another number. Yeah. And that would really affect how we felt. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of parallel that with what medical students are feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel like this is the one and only thing that's going to define themselves. And I understand it's a huge exam, and I remember being in their shoes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want them to realize, or anyone to realize, that these numbers may mean what's going on currently. Mm -hmm. But I think how we deal with them and how we react to them means so much more. Yeah, yeah. And then for my mother-in-law, I remember when she got sick, we'd all be waiting to Mm -hmm. hear what was the next lab result. Mm-hmm. You know, were the numbers going in the right direction? Yeah. And the times that it was, we would be super excited and everyone's mm-hmm. mood would change and all of that. Mm-hmm. And the times that it wasn't, everyone would be down and out and sad. And, yeah. you know, and I think it's a tough thing in itself. And I know that they're not taking an exam and having a, an illness or not the same thing. Right. But at the same time, I think that mental anguish that we all go through Mm -hmm. because of those numbers is really similar yeah it is and I feel like it it does have that sort of pass or fail kind of feeling to it right Mm -hmm. both of these and even though we know that these numbers they don't indicate exactly because it's very individual what what's the right number for them is very very individual and most of the numbers that says that's a cutoff line and sort of more a guideline than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. And also what makes a good physician is not necessarily all about their talents, their, their abilities, but also, well, or part of their ability is also bedside manner, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> which is huge. Yes. I mean, that's part of my role at the university is helping students maintain certain core competencies, one of which is professionalism, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. extremely important. You know, mm-hmm. you want your physician to have proper bedside manner. Mm-hmm. You want to feel like they really care about right. who you are and that yeah. you're not just a patient on their list that they need to see. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. just because of the way things are right now in the medical field, mm-hmm. a lot of it has turned into that. Yeah, it has. I mean, I personally have had uh, experiences that <laughs> were less than ideal. Like, I was trying to get a result. I told him, well, actually... It was a woman doctor who saw me, but her mentor, because she, mm-hmm. I guess she was an intern, um, her mentor kept saying to me, no, that does not exist. That, I was like, uh, I'm not imagining this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And then another physician also was telling me that I went to a certain country at a certain day. I was like, uh, I ought to know. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was like, yes, you must have gotten this from that, and it must have been this day. I'm like, thanks well, for I living my life. <laughs> and I think that's where things are hard because, yes, I understand that we're, all, we're under a time crunch. You know, right, we right. have X amount of time to get all of this done and to get anyone on their way, but it's also one of those things where creating those relationships mm-hmm. is what's going to allow you to trust your physician. Yeah. You know, and what's going to allow you to open up to your physician. Yeah. So I think it's a very fine line and a very fine talent to be able to learn how do you manage the time but still maintain the relationship yeah. and still figure out and be able to tease out what's important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I was kind of surprised at these two examples are very small examples, but I'm like, why would you not believe your patient, especially when... She or he is telling you something that only they would know, like mm-hmm. where I was at a certain time in my life. <laughs> I mean, why would you assume that you know when I went to this country? Sure. <laughs> they were like, yes, you did. <laughs> That's the only way. And I was kind of looking at his other two interns. I was like, am I having a, like, sort of out-of-body like, experience yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Since you've been in this field and you do advising and you, you must have heard these stories about how women's cane tends to be less uh, or ignored or that people of color tends to, their pain tends to be minimized. Do you see that from your side of things and in terms of advising the design of courses? So I don't necessarily see that that often. And some of it may be you know, me wanting to live in my bubble, if you mm. will. But I think for the most part, students now are being trained better and better about, you know, the importance of diversity and inclusion and, you know, being open to all kinds of different ideas and thoughts. As far as the specifics of patients, you know, whether it's a woman coming in with pain or a child coming in with delusional thoughts or whatever it is, I Mm -hmm. think that students are trained so well Mm -hmm. nowadays that they learn how to deal with really good yeah because when you hear that you know medicine is difficult as it is right because you're talking about a lot of us human beings are are invisible basically and we're not even talking about psychological illnesses I mean it's like other physical illnesses so to sort of add a layer of stereotyping of genders and and races uh, could really just add more barriers on unnecessary barriers Mm -hmm. right healing. And I think for the most part nowadays, everyone is so well aware Mm. of those stigmas and stereotypes out there that they're dealt with in so much of a better way than probably when I was trained or, you know, when my parents, you know, during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot more in the curriculum Mm -hmm. across the board, not only at our institution, but I think in, in a lot of institutions out there where students are actively being trained Mm -hmm. on how to deal with things like this and, you know, who to go to if they don't know. Right. right. Um, I think that sort of goes in line with, you know, there's so much anxiety out there nowadays Mm -hmm. that, you know, you hear about anxiety and burnout and, you know, what what do we do about things like that? And Mm -hmm. this is a perfect example with the poem, you know, people get so anxious about what, what is that number? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I have students that don't sleep until they get their score because they're just so filled with angst over it. And I right, completely right. understand that. But when it becomes to a point where you're not functioning, right, it, it's very it's self-destructive. Tough. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it's not that number that define us. The numbers become very necessary mm-hmm. as guidelines, but we can't say that's not the only thing. 
And I think it's just important to be cognizant that the number does not define you. Mm -hmm. It does create a guideline or it does create certain categories, Mm -hmm. but there are other ways for you to define yourself. Once you become passionate about something or you find that good fit, as we always talk Mm -hmm. about in medicine, everything is open to you. You just Mm -hmm. have to find what is that good fit, what is that passion of yours. Right, right. Since you're doing guidance, do you find that more and more now schools are looking at more well-roundedness of candidates? Absolutely. I think it's not just about the score. Yes, the score may open your door to get you Mm -hmm. into certain places, depending on the specialty you want to apply to. But I think they want to know that you are going to be a good fit to the program or to the institution you are just a really caring, genuine individual. You know, mm-hmm. you're a real person. And yeah. if we're taking overnight call, I want to be up at two in the morning with you because I know you're going to be on my team and you're a great team player and a hard mm-hmm. worker, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't think it's just the score and the grades. It's the mm-hmm. whole package. And I right. think that's the way it should be. You know, yeah. that's in anything, not just medicine. Yeah. Know, in yeah. any field you're in. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. It's really nice to see that it's going towards that direction because you know you i remember just going back to my school days mm-hmm. as well i just i just remember thinking now looking back thinking how did i get into school yeah. <laughs> because i don't remember doing as many extracurricular things as i feel like school nowadays are asking for i'm just like where do people find well, time there's to so do much this? more competition than mm-hmm. probably the time that you and i did it i mm-hmm. mean there's just so much competition and so much stress even for the younger kids Mm-hmm, yeah, you know, and I think it's just it's ingrained in them, and they, they become used to it, which I understand. But at the same time, you have to still maintain some healthiness. Yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. it be it has to be mind and body, it can't be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It has to be overall. Yeah, and especially in a field like medicine, you know, like you said, you need to be able to engender the trust of your patients. Otherwise, there's just this unnecessary barrier. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you don't trust the patient, you need to have that tact. Mm-hmm. and have that skill to tease it out and to figure out how are you going to help that patient? How are you going to get them on your side to understand yeah. why you're saying what you're saying? Yeah. And that's an art in itself. Yeah, soft skills. Absolutely. <laughs> we call them soft skills, but, you know, they may be some of the most important things out there. Oh, my there. God, yes. Yes. So. Uh, to, to be able to communicate clearly with what you're trying to say and um, also to understand what they're trying to say to you. There's always a lot of possibilities for miscommunication, right, for whatever reason. Absolutely. And I think just having that clarity on both ends, Mm -hmm. and not only just in medicine, but in any relationship that you have, you know, whether it be with your child or your mother or, you know, Mm -hmm. your spouse, it's just so important because Mm -hmm. that clarity and that understanding amongst you both Mm -hmm. is what is going to continue to strengthen that relationship. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel about, you know, this unfortunate anti-vaccination movement. (laughs) (laughs) So I am, you know, not to to throw out my beliefs out there, I agree with getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. My children have gotten vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge the fact that some uh, parents do not want to get their children vaccinated, Mm -hmm. especially because, you know, in the schools, you hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to look at things from both sides of the story. You know, Mm -hmm. just like everything else. I think for me, it's very scary as a physician to think that there are some illnesses that we can prevent Mm -hmm. that could potentially be deadly by just giving a vaccine. 
Yeah. I'm sure, you know, someone can come and sit in the chair across from me and say the complete opposite. Well, that vaccine could cause autism or any other illness. Right. But I think you have to respect others' feelings and others' thoughts. I mean, I know some physicians out there that won't see certain families or certain patients if they don't mm-hmm. agree to take vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's their prerogative. You know, mm-hmm. you have to feel comfortable with what you're doing. You have to be able to go home and sleep at night right. saying right. that, you know, you provided the best care. Right, right, right. Well, I feel like there isn't, as far as I know, there isn't enough supporting evidence to back what the anti vaccination movement is basing their beliefs on. Again, it comes back to a trust issue, right? Mm -hmm. Is that there has been few but prominent failures that made people feel like they can trust the experts, Mm -hmm. which medical personnel are. We have to remember that we can only be experts in in certain fields Mm -hmm. and that you know, sometimes even if you have a certain distrust of certain fields, you still have to realize that they spent many, many more years in that particular field than you. And even though we have this whole big thing called the World Wide Web out there, it's also <laughs> the quality of information is not guaranteed. Absolutely, and I see that all the time. You know, people will read up on a diagnosis or read up on a word they heard, mm-hmm. and they misconstrue it. I think going back to your point about trusting the advice or the guidance that you're getting, I think it's a double-edged sword because, yes, you should trust, but at the same time, unless we start to question things, we mm-hmm. will never improve. Right. You right, know, it's right. one of those things, until you are pushed to the limit, mm-hmm. more times than not, there's no motivation for yeah. you to improve and get better. Yeah, yeah, which it's, is too bad, isn't it? Because it is. <laughs> but I think, it, it, you know, it's tough. And I see that even in general day-to-day things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You can have a list of things that you need to do that you want to get through, mm-hmm. you know, but you have to have that bigger goal in mind, mm-hmm. I guess, to really push yourself to get there. Yeah, yeah. That's on both sides as well because, as, as I said, there seems to be very little evidence to support the anti-vaxxers' arguments, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you would think, given the risk involved not just to themselves but to others they just to themselves let's say mm-hmm. because they should really be sure of the evidence that they're looking at and it's well and and you know it's unfortunate for me to say it like this but all it's going to take on the flip side is that one event mm-hmm. that ended up in a negative manner because of the vaccine yeah yeah where things just get hyped up from yeah yeah you know it's exactly. my child ended up having X, Y, and Z because of this vaccine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm going out there now and saying that there should be no vaccines. Right, right, right. Uh, whereas, again, it's an individual thing, right? Just like all the numbers, their guidance and individuals could end up on either side of the number. So we don't know whether or not that child is whatever illness they had, if it's caused by the vaccine or We won't know other. if that was the right decision or not. Yeah. You know, and that's with any of these things. It's one of those things where you yourself are, be- are weighing the risks and benefits and right, trying right. to figure out, okay, is this worth it or not? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and is it worth me making this decision and going for this goal or going towards something? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, am I really going to stay true to myself? Right, right. You know, right. I think we get swayed so easily by what's out there you know whether it be someone in your field or the stigma that's associated with whatever you do or you know that sort of thing that it's really important and I think that we all have to make an active effort to step back and look at ourselves 
Yeah. And I feel like a part of it also is that asymmetry of information that you kind of touched on and who's the advocate for that information. And it goes towards the idea of celebrity voices. And, you know, often the celebrities are not necessarily a celebrity because of their expertise in the subject that they're actually talking about. I mean, it's Jenny McCarthy, who's the celebrity voice behind anti-vaccination but you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I've seen that in, in a lot of realms, even with breast imaging and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, where whether there are certain people that say, "Oh no, you don't need to get te- you don't need to get a mammogram, or you don't need to get checked up for this or that." But I think you know, we live in the world where I see the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, I see the patients that are affected with that, or I see the student that is dealing with that. And so mm-hmm. I think, from my standpoint of view, it's just important to check in on yourself and your mindset. You know, having that resilience and having that belief in yourself that even if it didn't go okay, Mm -hmm. even if that number wasn't ideal or that test result wasn't what you wanted it to be, how are you going to get out of that funk and how are you going to change your mindset Mm -hmm. to figure out the good in that? Yeah. Yeah. And then to work off of that instead of feed off the negative. Yeah. Well, people also have to first realize, and I think a lot of people don't realize that we as human beings (laughs) tend to be very selective in what information we decide to believe in. And we have confirmation bias, which is to search information that already supports what we believe in. And we're very critical of those that are not in tune with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's all of us. And it's even if we do recognize it, it's Mm -hmm. still difficult to overcome that. Right. So how do we do that? I mean, is there any recommendations? Or <laughs> no, I think it's just being cognizant of it, which is hard, you know, yeah, to, to yeah. put yourself in check and say, you yeah. know, am I realizing that or am I doing that for the right reason? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think because of how busy we are in our day to day life, yeah. most of us don't do that. Yeah. And I think probably starting out with baby steps. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be the most basic thing. I was at a, at a lecture probably a few weeks ago, and the speaker was telling us a story, and she had said something about her mom was seeing, was at a doctor's office, and the nurse was going to come in, and so she had told her mom, oh, she'll be here soon. So she automatically assumed that the nurse was a female, right, even though right. she had never met it, just because that's the stigma that we associate right, with the right. word nurse. Right, right. You know, and I get that all the time of I'm going in to see a patient, and they'll be like, when's the doctor coming in? Uh. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I am the physician. And they're like, no, when's the doctor coming in? And I'm like, no, you know, I, I am your <laughs> physician. So I think it's just being cognizant of that mm-hmm. and realizing that there are different ways to do different things, yeah. some of which yeah. don't have a right or wrong answer. Yeah. And being okay with that. Yeah, yeah. And checking that expectancy and realizing that something like that, like the gender expectation in association with certain professions, at best, that's nothing. At worst, it could be an obstacle to your own health, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're resistant to a doctor solely because uh, she's a she, you might not be getting the expertise that you need. Absolutely. She might be the best in the field. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's very frustrating to, to deal with that. That's a tough thing. There's a lot out there, and I think there's a lot of areas that we can each self-improve upon. We just mm-hmm. need to be aware yeah, very much and so. And spend the time to improve for ourselves. You know, I think we, so many of us get stuck in this rat race where we're go, 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 mm-hmm. you know, but we don't take that time for the wellness for ourselves. Yeah, we don't. Some of it is that 
a lot of people don't want to know, right? But when you're talking about breast cancer, time makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think time is huge. And also just realizing that more times than not, something can be done. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just need to catch it. Yeah. And in order to catch it, someone needs to make that effort to go in and, and get that test. So. Mm-hmm. And that kind of comes down to listening to your body as well, right? Mm-hmm. If your body's feeling pain, it's wonderful that we have all these choices in terms of anti-pain medicine. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you should just pop a pill and ignore the root cause because the root cause is there. And pain is telling you, get it checked out, get to the root cause of it. Absolutely. And I think that's even just with something as basic as being tired. You know, mm-hmm. like I was saying, we're, we're all so busy and we do so many things in such a short amount of time. If your body is telling you you're tired, mm-hmm. you know, you need to take care of that. Yeah. You know, whether that means eating a little bit more healthy or putting in some time to exercise or drinking enough water, you know, just yeah. some basic things. Yeah. A lot of that is very basic, very preventative measures, right? Because being tired is your body's, like, we have a lot of check and balance systems within mm-hmm. our bodies Absolutely. and if you listen to it then you can sometimes catch something before things even show up mm-hmm. on, on your tests before these numbers even show up absolutely yeah and we have to also realize that medicine is an evolving field as well right mm-hmm. there's always science that's new that's in trial period uh, and some that are not tested yet that could be potential possibilities, talking about things like Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things are that are happening. But more important than not is that we need to be kinder to ourselves. Be kinder to ourselves and be kinder to everyone. You know, it's one of yeah. those things where life is just way too short. Yeah. Now, I know we touched upon that whole stigma and stereotype and diversity and inclusion and all of that. But I think in the big scheme of things, we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. We're all here to help one another to make a difference. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to find that one passion that yeah. you have yeah. where you can make a difference. Yeah, yeah, and keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of mentioned that celebrity uh, aspect of anti-vaccination, partly because what determines celebrity status is also numbers, which is why I chose the poem I did, mm-hmm. to read with yours, which is called Oh, the effortless glam. So I'm going to read that now. Living in a fishbowl presents its challenges. Feeling like an ant under the magnifying glass, first warmed, then burned from the concentrated attention. Every passerby feels free to peck at imperfections, while their faces contort into liquid monstrosities, and the desire to please melt into hemlockian resentment into self-nihilism as the sole route for escape. The walls come cave and slip from one's grip, though so many gladiators tear each other to pieces just to win an opportunity to climb up that tempting tall ladder or a chance to drop in. From the exterior, one sees the neat interior all prearranged to perfection. No hint of entrapment, pampered life, no worries, 
be happy for dreams that nightmares reality realizes. That's why distance fonder grows hearts fantasies, magnetizes for closure of separation ideal, though fosters idealization of idols idling in a gleaming glam while their unsightly faults hide in plain sight as outside observers press tightly against their glass cages to concentrate on the gaudy glitter, sprinkling self-generated illusions. Thank you. I was saying I, I kind of chose this poem because of the context of your poem, which is about numbers and mm -hmm. how that doesn't define us. And I find that celebrity, again, is made of people who are standing on the stage made of people, basically. Mm -hmm. Numbers of people is what makes a celebrity a celebrity. And they're not necessarily worshipping anything real. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time we have no idea the person that's behind the celebrity image. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's very true. And I think that's even true with ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We get defined by, or we feel like we get defined by this number, but you have to step, sort of have an out-of-body experience to say, does that number really mean who I am? Right. You know, right, is it right. really saying anything about me? Yes, it may say you knew the material or your body isn't reacting the way that it should to mm -hmm. XYZ medicine, but... I think it's how we react to it. Mm -hmm. You know, how are we reacting to that celebrity? Are we liking that celebrity because a zillion other people like that celebrity? Right, right. Or what is the real reason that I like Scooby-Doo? You know, is right, it because right. I know that our generation likes Scooby-Doo? Or was right. it because, you know? So I think it's, you have to make an active effort. Yeah. And you have to not be scared to go off of the normal path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge comfort in being part of a group, right? And some of the battle into people becoming a celebrity or on the ramp of people becoming a celebrity depends on people's want to join groups, to belong and not go on their own path because it can be very lonely. It can be very experience. lonely, very scary, very mm -hmm. isolating. You know, yeah, it's one yeah. of those things where it's an unknown territory. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's one of those things where as long as you have a plan, you do your homework. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying go off the beaten path without having some type of idea. Right, right. As long as you've laid it out and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get there, mm -hmm. it's not always going to work like the plan that you thought it would be. Right, right. But don't give up. Yeah. You know, figure out a way, whether it's, you know, talking to one person and they may close the door in your face, go talk to someone else. Mm -hmm. You never know yeah. Yeah. when you're going to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, exactly. And then you might find something that everybody else start to pile on to. Absolutely. Right? You may be that, you know, inventor. You may be that instigator, so. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because they're, they're always, when we're talking about entrepreneurship, things like that, when we think about Apple, let's say Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. he's kind of, in a way, the ultimate symbol, right? Mm -hmm. in, in that innovator, being alone, in, in a way, being thrown out of Apple, mm -hmm. you know, when he first hit his failure, and then being brought back into the fold, and then growing even bigger. Yeah, yeah still, the fact is, in his personal life, he had a very 
lonely experience and his alienation of his daughter and then also how he unfortunately passed away because he believed in something that unfortunately did not borne out so you could see the double-edged sword of of that in just this one person's life. And I think that's that's a really great point that, you know, you become so focused on something. Mm-hmm. You know, you alluded to him alienating his daughter, and I think we become so focused on one or two big things in our life that mm-hmm. it is very easy to do that, or it mm-hmm. is very easy to say, oh, I'll take care of that later, or yeah, I'll go yeah, spend yeah. time with so-and-so later, but mm-hmm. you don't know if that later is going to be there. You know, yeah, take yeah. advantage of the now. And I yeah. think that's something that I personally have had to remind myself of right, right. because I think I lose track of the fact that you keep going, 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 but what are you going for? Right, right. And these numbers as well, right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that chase numbers because they're the sort of the outer reward for your hard work. And then there are the ones where you are not rewarded for, you're not specifically rewarded with certain outside recognized numbers Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean we see that even with billionaires out there right Mm -hmm. they have all the money in the world Mm -hmm. but they have the most unhappy family life or personal life or they're very ill or you know that sort of deal so where's that balance you know trying to find that balance that will make you happy and still be able to give back to society and be able to help someone or something you know whatever that passion is of yours Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. is something that we all need to strive for yeah it is and I think there's also that gender difference between outer recognition and inner recognition right like Steve Jobs example he he basically concentrated on the well he he concentrated on what he could invent mm-hmm. but that also garnered so much attention so so much accolades that I guess he almost felt like godlike in his own feeling mm-hmm. with things that when he was sick, he didn't feel like he needed other people's input. Mm-hmm. You know, that that I think, was it preventable? I thought it was a preventable disease that, yeah, he went to the very homeopathic route, which unfortunately didn't work out, which is a shame because him, of all people, had the money, had the means of finding. Well, and it depends on the illness as well. I yeah. mean, there are some illnesses that depending on when they're caught, Unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. Right, you know? right. And there's some illnesses where, fine, you can have surgery or you can do therapy or you can do something and improve it or cure it. Right, um, right. But I think it depends on the big situation and how far the disease process or the illness has progressed. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I forget what he had. And did he have pancreatic? I, that's what I thought. Pancreatic. Yeah, and pancreatic cancer is one of those that inevitably is not a good outcome. Right, right. Yeah. It's usually too far into it, like Alex Trebek, right? Uh, okay. He, okay. He has it as well. Um, right. But, and I think he, I recently heard, I think on the radio, that has gone into remission. Oh. Um, you don't get I to hear so. that. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the malignancies that is very tough, and you usually find it too late. Yeah. But still, with his means, I thought at least he could have found the palliative care that would have eased him the pain and yeah yeah yeah. because it was very fast you know from of of course that's also depends on when they release the information as well that's true we're not privy to (laughs) to all of the inner makings of it that's very true yeah 
going back to the gender difference as well, is that there tends to be this men pursuing outside careers or outer world recognition, and women are assigned the role of you know raising children, which mm-hmm. has no defined value to it, and in some ways it's undervalued because of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that as we move further in society and further in time, that that discrepancy is not as far spread apart as it was when we grew up or when our parents grew up. Yeah. You know, the, the female was in the household and the, the male was out doing yeah. the work or hunting or, you know, way back when, right? Yeah. I think now it's one of those things where I tell, I have two girls and I tell them all the time, I'm like, you can do anything a boy does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason why you can't. Right, right. You know, I don't want you to have in the, in the back of your head that, oh, I can't do that. No, yeah, you yeah. set your mind to it, you can do anything. Yeah, and I feel like some men make better parents than women, and there's this expectation that women somehow are just like innate parents. I'm like, have you met some of these mothers who abandon their children or abuse their children? Absolutely. And it's also dealt more harshly when that happens. It's like, no, 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 there should be no expectations just because she's a woman that she is somehow innately supposed to be, you know, whatever stereotypes that are surrounding the gender. Yeah, and we see that in medicine all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a juggling act. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things where, yes, we're going to school or going through training or or going to our work as physicians, and how do you balance that? You know, Mm -hmm. I want to be the mother where I can either pick up or drop off my children, Mm -hmm. you know, and how do you balance that when out there in the real world you're supposed to work eight to five, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, or whatever the hours are. So I think it's one of those things where you have to be true to yourself. Um, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, I've gotten into this role with the university because after I had kids, my priorities changed. Mm. I want to be able to be with my family. Yeah. Yes, I love what I'm doing and all of that, but when I sit there and say, do I want to miss my child's basketball game mm. because I'm working? Mm-hmm. For me, that's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be there for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's other individuals that are okay with that, and that's completely fine yeah. as long as they are okay with it. Yeah, and as long yeah. as those that are around them respect their decision, right, right, there's right. no right or wrong to it. As long as you stay true to yourself and you figure out what's important to you. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it's a balancing act, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you had decided that your career was the most important thing in your life, maybe you are married to someone, a husband or a wife, whoever, who's able to take over the slack and help. In, in whatever needs to be done. In Absolutely. I mean, my husband and I, we share roles and responsibilities, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that in our parents' generation, it wasn't necessarily like that. Yeah. I feel like it was tends to be much more well-defined. It's mm-hmm. not always like that, but the expectation is that, oh, you know, you're pregnant now, quit your job, quit your career, mm-hmm. you can't go back to it. You know, it's like, this is it. <laughs> no matter what, you had children in life. Yeah, well, and even back in the day, and I mean, even in certain countries now, females are still not getting educated, Mm -hmm. right? Or they're not going out into the work field, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they learn how to cook and clean, and that's it. It doesn't necessarily need to be that way, you know? And as long as we can instill the importance of that and being open to our children now and to the young ones now, Mm -hmm. that... You can be whatever you want to be. If you are a male and you want to stay at home because you have some passion mm-hmm. or taking care of the kids is what really makes you happy, then that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I 
also feel that for those countries who still um, have this prescribed role for women of taking on the nurturing role, mm -hmm. almost by default, you would think that you want them to be educated because they're educating the kids. You know, they're mm -hmm. they're kids' primary education from their, when they're born and when they're capable of going to school. Mm -hmm. So you would think you want to educate that. So it kind of it doesn't make any sense almost not to educate the girls. Well, and I think it's it's all a time perspective as well, mm -hmm. right? Because we're supposed to be that nurturing role. We're supposed to be there. You know, we're mm -hmm. supposed to be the ones that get up at two in the morning when the child gets up, but not necessarily. No. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be that way, especially now in, in today's society. Yeah, and for the world that provides more service-oriented work, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can actually work remotely, that you can pursue your career without actually being there for many roles so that you could be parenting or co-parenting with your partner. Absolutely, and that's where technology is huge. Yeah, You know, yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah. it's allowed us to take that jump and to say that you can get the best of both worlds, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even medicine, both psychological and physical medicine, there's a lot of innovation in, mm -hmm. in the field where you can call up nurse lines and mm -hmm. now you can get using big data as well as be able to transmit certain test results mm -hmm. via computer and have a consultation. Yeah, there's telemedicine yeah. and now this yeah. new thing with artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. There's a lot out there that is changing the environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, though, that we don't want to lose that personal touch. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's what makes us human. Yeah, I feel like you can, for the right people, you can transmit that personal touch without physically being there, which is kind of ironic <laughs> kind of a dichotomy yeah yeah it, mm. but there are people who are able to sort of transmit their nurturing quality whether or not they are physically there mm -hmm. and that's a really good quality to have absolutely. good quality to be training for like bring to the forefront absolutely and i think it also depends on what field of medicine we're yeah. talking about yeah. and also although it's a skill or a soft skill as <laughs> yeah. you call it I think it's one of those things where it's also a learned skill yeah. to be empathetic and yes. to be able to share that vulnerability mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with someone, whether it be a colleague or a friend or your child. I think so many of us have learned to hold it in, if you will, you mm -hmm. know, when we're in that emotional situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's okay to share your feelings and your thoughts. And I think right. that's why poetry is so great because it allows you to do that. And yeah. no one's going to judge you and no one's going to... You say, no, this is not correct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, definitely poetry is one of those arenas where people are more comfortable with people expressing feelings in mm -hmm. that particular form. And I think, but I think you can, you can express your feelings in other fields that are less accepting of displays of emotions as mm -hmm. well. Because I, I think there are ways in which you can verbalize your emotions. Right, not necessarily have a full blown meltdown. Sure, you probably don't want. There's, to. there's a way to verbalize, and also I think even your facial reactions, mm -hmm. your body language, you know, says so much. And I think that's one of the things that we teach students over time. You know, if you go into an office or into a meeting and your arms are folded across your chest, well, that's sort of a closed off position. Mm -hmm. You know, that you're not open or you're not willing to right. necessarily hear what someone else has to say, and that may not come off too well. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, I don't, I don't know if you read about how just environments tend to be built towards more men than 
than women because temperature is kept low because men tend to wear jackets, women don't are not expected to wear certain you know, there isn't as much restriction for women in terms of what they wear. So mm-hmm. and also women just tend to on average run at a lower temperature temperature. Interesting. So I haven't heard that. I know at least the places that I cover at because of what I do, it's always cold. Yeah. So my right. my jack my trunk is filled with sweaters or jackets and it, it maybe, you know, the heat of summer as it is now and I will still have a sweater or something yeah, in yeah, my trunk yeah. just because the offices are so cold. Yeah. I think some of it has to do with the machinery that they have. You know, they have yeah. to maintain the cold. But even, you know, my father was in the hospital recently and I had spent the night with him and it was cold Mm -hmm. you know and he himself was cold and thank goodness we had a thermostat in the room but it was one of those things where I think they keep it cold one for the machines and two also for the patients and just depending on what their sickness or whatever they're dealing with is but yeah most more times than not hospital settings and office settings are quite quite cold yeah yeah and that then going back to the training for body language mm-hmm. for instance because you know one could be folding their arms to keep warm right sure. so then a female doctor will seem cold and aloof even though she's just cold rather Absolutely. than rather than emotionally unavailable well you know? and you're hoping that if that is a situation then her facial expression will still portray happiness or camaraderie you know just by a smile or just right, the way right, that right. she's interacting I think you know I've always been taught you know to look in someone's eyes when you're talking mm-hmm. to them and I know that I, I tell my daughter this all the time my older one and it's one of those things where I think it's she has to make an active effort to do it right, right you know right. and I was always by my dad you know I'm talking to you look in my eyes you know that right, sort of right, thing right. but when she's doing that, and she probably doesn't even realize she's doing that, I think that she's bored by what I'm saying because yeah, she's right, not paying right. attention, or I feel like she's not paying attention, but that's just the way that they are. Right. It's very individualized, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, if you stare at somebody for too long, they would arrange different reactions, like uh, interpretation of interest, not sure. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. inappropriate interests or causing discomfort, things as well. And also it depends on the culture. I was going to say the exact same thing. It totally depends on the culture as well as as far as what is acceptable and what is not. And I see that with some of my patients. You know, there is a lot of the times in what I do, family history is really important. Mm -hmm. But in some cultures, they don't share their illnesses, even with their children or their parents or whatnot. So it's sort of a taboo to even ask that. Mm -hmm. And when I first got out of training, I didn't realize that. But over time... I've seen that, you know, especially in some of the Asian cultures, they won't share mm. illnesses, even, you know, amongst a mother and a daughter Mm-mm-mm. or in, you know, Native American cultures, depending on where they're from okay. and what, you know, they're part of a tribal right, nature right, right. or something to that effect. But I think that's also where training our students to mm-hmm. be aware of that, yeah, that yeah, it's not yeah. them. It's not the fact that they don't want to give the information or share the information they just don't believe in doing so. Right, right, right. You know, and so then it takes a special talent on our end to figure out, okay, how are you still going to provide care right, right. to this patient? Yeah. Hopefully genetic testing, if it's allowable, it's, it's a helpful way mm-hmm. of getting to those mysteries. Because when we're thinking about refugees coming into this country because of the instability of the systems that they left. They don't have that information Mm -hmm. available. They can't get access. They can't get it, yeah. So that's that's also a barrier. Mm -hmm. But then there are also groups of people who just don't believe in giving blood to be analyzed. 
domestic mm-hmm. lovers. Just, you know, dealing with individuals, there are always quirks, you know. There's always going to be quirks. There, I mean, we're all human. We all yeah. have something that we bring to the table, whether yeah. we agree with it or not, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I think just being accepting of that yeah. and figuring out, you know, how are you going to take the good from everyone that you meet? Yeah. I really appreciate you talking with me about your poem and about the greater aspects that, that go into that particular poem. It's always nice to see how much material background, whether it's deliberate or not, mm-hmm. that goes into someone's poetry. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things for me, when I sit down to write, it's sort of a open floodgate you know you get all kinds of different emotions and different stories coming from different parts of my life you Mm -hmm. know that I didn't even realize once you read it all together you're like it really is intertwined some way yes yes and do you find that also when you read your own pieces after you've written it that you're like oh I wrote about that oh I didn't realize I was thinking about that I think when I look back at them, because the, the few that I've written recently have mm-hmm. really hit home and they were written for a certain reason, mm-hmm. I still feel those emotions, mm-hmm. you know, that I felt when I was writing them. Right. I think as time goes on, reading back to them, they probably won't have that same impact, mm-hmm. or I may see it from a different point right, of view right, or a right. different perspective because of whatever is going on in my life at that time. Right, right. You know, right. I think that that just shows how you grow and how you change over time. Yeah, it does, it does. Do you keep your old poems? Do you have journals of them? I still have the the ones that I wrote for mm-hmm. my parents. I still keep these. I have, you know, when my dad turned 70, I wrote him a mm-hmm, poem mm-hmm. and read it in front of some family and friends or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I do keep them. Um, right. They're not necessarily, you know, all bound or anything like that. But I think mm-hmm. it's just a fun way to look back. Yeah. Things. You know, I did that for my kids when they were little you know before they were able to read I would write them their birthday cards Mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. still sealed they haven't opened them yet because they were too little to read them (laughs) you know so at some point they'll get a box with you know their first birthday card and things like that that have little statements in them and things like that right right right. it's nice to have that to be able to look back it's just that reflection and it's something that we do with the medical students too they have on campus these reflective writings that they're required Mm -hmm. to do and it was actually stemmed I believe by Dr. Hartmark Hill the the woman that started the chart you know the Mm -hmm. the journal Um, and I think it's just important to realize whether you're writing or just being self-cognizant to reflect back whether it be on your day or your week or whatnot because I think what we do in medicine is so emotional that Mm -hmm. if you hold it all in at some point it's going to catch up with you yeah yeah and I think at some point we become very unemotional towards our patients just because it's routine work yeah I was reading part of it is that obviously you have to be empathetic in order to gain the trust of your patients and work well with your patients mm-hmm. right and at the same time if you are too empathetic it kind of uh, gets in the way of your decision making mm-hmm. skills yeah and treating and figuring out what's the best for that patient so mm-hmm. I think it's a very fine line but I think by doing some type of self-reflection whatever it is for you right, it's right. really important just for your own self-growth and yeah, to figure yeah. out what's important for you yeah yeah definitely and so whether through through journaling or poetry writing to sort of let out let that seep out a little bit absolutely yeah it's what makes us human so yeah exactly so I I was trying to ask you before in terms of I don't know if you're planning to read at other places because there are 
plaza of lands <laughs> in Phoenix and in the Valley area. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to submit again to chart. So I actually have never gone to an open mic or read mm-hmm. my poetry in public besides today, but and I know I definitely will continue to submit to chart. But I think you know doing an open mic would be a great experience. Yeah, I've never done it before, yeah, so maybe down the line, hopefully in the near future. Yeah, as you might have noticed, listening to some of the episodes, I announced all the open mics and other poetry events taking mm-hmm. place in the valley. So if you keep listening, you'll find out about it one day off work, you know, like impromptu. I feel like Absolutely. doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's really close by to your campus, too. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, I'll um, definitely look into it. Yeah, yeah, great. So you have mentioned that you don't really have social media. So how do people keep in touch if they want to follow you and they want to find out that you're going to uh, open mic or something? So I would probably say through email is, is the best way. Okay. Just because I'm not, like you said, I'm not out there, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. In social media, I deal with computers more times during the day than not, so I'm not one of those people that has, you know, a Facebook account or anything like right, that. Right, right. So it is a time suck. Yes, that's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can. It's it's very. It's like TV. It's a useful tool. If you mm-hmm. go to PBS all the time, you're learning lots of sure. things. But most of the other time, you're just a couch potato. <laughs> So it's very similar. Absolutely. Um, so thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much yeah. for allowing me to share. I had a wonderful time. Yeah, it was wonderful. As always, you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com or via Instagram, Twitter, as well as SoundCloud under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.